Collegiately speaking. And we're underway. Needs a block on the picker and gets it. And will he go the distance? Yes, he will. As the Hokies deliver the dagger here in Tallahassee. Intercepted by the Wildcats. The Wildcats win. Unbelievable. Here's Collegiately Speaking, your one-stop shop for college football news. With Dave Eddy and former Northwestern quarterback Dan Person. How much you want to make a bet I can throw a football over the mountain? Collegiately Speaking. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Collegiately Speaking. Dave Ennett here, former Northwestern quarterback Dan Persa there. As the Wildcats get set to go on the road for the first time this week, we'll talk about that. A matchup at Duke this weekend, heading to Tobacco Road to take on the Blue Devils, renewing a rivalry, which, Dan, you're very familiar with. You played a bunch of those games. We'll talk more about that. How are you doing today? Doing great. Great to be back. Uh, So... Were you at Ryan Field on Saturday to see the Wildcats win over Indiana State? Oh no, you weren't. You were traveling. That's right. Town, yeah, I was yeah. in town. I watched. I watched it on TV, which sometimes makes it easier to pick up on some of the subtleties going on in the game. Um, so, an ugly win, but you know, a win nonetheless, and, and we'll certainly take it. Yeah, absolutely right. Well, we'll talk about that and the rest of. Uh, what's going on we're going to get a preview of the wildcats opponent the duke blue devils from their uh, play-by-play announcer dave shoemate a little bit later on but uh, first of all we want to get kind of a big picture perspective here and uh, who better to do that with than the lead announcer for the big 10 network their lead anchor their signature voice it's our good friend dave revson who's busy dropping his daughter off at school today got a lot going on but he's been kind enough to take a little uh time out with us dave how are you i am doing great dave and dan really good to talk to both of you guys and i can't think of two people that i would rather chat with than you two so really uh really honored to be on with you well we hope you still feel that way a few minutes from now uh, <laughs> all right uh, looking at the the uh, Big Ten standings through a couple of weeks, not counting week zero. Let's just count weeks one and two. But uh, you got a bunch of teams in the Big Ten that are sitting there at 2-0, and oh, which isn't all that unusual because sometimes uh, teams will play opponents early in the year that they can they can handle. So teams that might not uh, see records that are quite as gaudy once we get later into the season looking pretty good right now but i kind of look at all these two and O teams in the big 10 think they're pretty good and i'm just wondering what your initial readings are on some of the teams that have gotten off to good starts it's interesting that you had mentioned that dave just because when howard and jerry and joshua were on our and i were on our uh, camp tour one of the observations we had as we were maybe 10 or 11 stops in is well, no one's really bad this year. And yeah, sometimes you can't necessarily gauge it. Um, so we could end up being wrong, but we got a sense we have a lot of pretty good teams. And so I think some of those that you're talking about, you know, Purdue and Maryland and teams that you don't traditionally think of as uh, necessarily being, or at least in recent years, of being at the, the top of their divisions. We left there thinking, well, those are those are solid teams. So, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of with you. I, I think some of these 2-0 teams surprised you. I think Maryland's really good, for instance, certainly offensively. I mean, they're, they're going to create some massive matchup problems for people. 
Uh, we'll see on Purdue. I think we'll learn a lot more about them uh, this weekend. I really liked Minnesota. Now, of course, they're not 2-0 because they started with Ohio State. But I really liked them when we were there. But Muhammad Ibrahim was a huge part of that. So with him now out for the year, maybe that changes that. But, but yeah, I do think that the, um, the middle to even teams that you might perceive in recent years as the bottom, I mean, Rutgers is that's a good team, uh, certainly a very good defensive team. So that I, – I, and I think that's a byproduct of a couple things. I, I think one of them, frankly, is television money. There's no excuse for not paying for a good coach. Right. No one is strapped for cash anymore in the Big Ten. And so you're able to invest in your program. You're able to build good staffs. You're able to have good facilities. Someone still has to come and last. I mean, it's not Lake will be gone, right, where everyone can be slightly above mm-hmm. average. But but I do think that it's you. Ha- everyone has the resources to, to be good, and that didn't used to be the case. Well, I think you make a great point as far as the quality I mean, there's there've always been great coaches in the Big Ten. That's not new, but but look at the most recent vacancies that have been filled with uh, Bielema going to Illinois. But before that, uh, Greg Schiano at at Rutgers. You can see the impact he's having. Uh, Loxley at Maryland, uh, Mel Tucker at Michigan at Michigan State. Uh, Dave looks like uh, he's got that program headed in the right direction again. Not that maybe they hadn't dropped off quite that far with pretty good run under Mark D'Antonio, but still, uh, they look like they're an improved program. No doubt. I mean, Michigan State, Northwestern fans certainly saw it firsthand in in that opener, starting from the very first play of the game. That's one where, no doubt, he's he's made a huge difference. And that's the other thing, too, is... It's a lot easier to rebuild the program in this day and age because of the portal. And Mel Tucker is exhibit A. I mean, it used to be that you had to build it through recruiting. and Maybe you could get some grad transfers and and infuse some age into your program. But now, all of a sudden, I mean, with what essentially is free agency in college football, you don't have to be patient anymore. Now, you have to hit on the guys you bring in. But Mel Tucker is walking proof of the fact you can just completely turn over your roster in the span of a year, find some guys who fit what you want to do, and you don't have to. It doesn't have to be a four-year program. He said to us when we were there, he said, it it used to be that you thought about, well, we'll turn this thing around, we'll get it going in three or four years. He said, I want to do it in two. I I don't see any reason why we can't given the climate in college football, and and he was right. I mean, you see what he's done. It's pretty remarkable. Yeah, I I agree, Dave. The the portal is is quite fascinating. Maybe talk a little bit about, um, you know, a couple of the bigger games in the Big Ten, first starting with with Ohio State and their their first loss at home, I think, since 2017 and and Ryan Day's first loss. And then um, Iowa's big win in, in Ames. Um, certainly the Big Ten fans are, are interested to see how those teams continue to, to roll through their schedules. Yeah, Ohio State is troubling, no doubt, because that, to me, was the most talented team we saw. And frankly, I didn't think it was particularly close, guys. I mean, they are. Agreed, they got yeah. talent coming out of their ears. So <laughs> the defense is an issue. I mean, they've given up 118 points in three games, last three games, uh, going back to last year. You have to go back to 91 to find the last time that happened. And I'm talking about 1891. 
uh, where Ohio <laughs> State went three games giving up 118 points. It's bad. It's historically bad on defense. <laughs> and now Josh Proctor's out for the year, so that's a problem. Uh, really talented safety. But I don't think the issue is a lack of talent for them. I, I don't. I mean, it, it feels like there's something else going on there because they've got a ton of athletes. Now, they're a little inexperienced in some spots. They turned over a huge percentage of their roster they should be better on defense, though, than they are. I mean, gave up over seven yards to carry to Oregon. It, it just it just didn't look good. So surprising to me that that, that happened, but, but it feels like it's indicative of a, a bigger issue, and we'll see whether or not they can figure things out. I mean, you essentially get one mulligan in college football, and until we see the playoff committee choose a two-loss team, even though they may insist that, it's a possibility. Until we see it, I believe you're eliminated with the second loss. So they really have no margin for error now. As for Iowa, I think it's probably a somewhat familiar uh, model for Northwestern fans, right? It's mm-hmm. really good defense. It's, I mean, they average less than three yards of play and went into the home stadium of a top 10 team and won by double digits. That's not easy to do, and clearly it's all about their defense. They're, they're really sound defensively. It's funny. I actually said this to Kirk Ferentz that we spent a whole lot of time in studio last year trying to finally get people outside of Northwestern to recognize how great Mike Hankowitz was and just like that this guy deserved recognition on par with some of these great defensive coordinators that people talk about nationally. It's really the same thing with Phil Parker. I mean, they've had six straight top 20 defenses. And yet when people go through the list of great coordinators in college football and the defensive side, they don't really talk about Phil Parker. And I I don't understand why that is, but man, he is really, really good. And I think this could be one of his better defenses. So We'll see. Do they have enough offensively? I mean, they played two really good teams. And so I do think that those stats maybe get distorted a little bit. But they are last in the Big Ten in total offense through two games. So is that sustainable? I don't know. But, man, their defense is really good. It is. Uh, trying to figure out the West. I mean, I guess the East is is problematic, too, in terms of trying sure. to figure it out right now. But, but the West has this reputation of being – kind of well kind of open going into the the season and and everybody's looking at wisconsin to be the the favorite i think the most people thought going in but uh you look at it now you've got iowa sitting there to the number five team in the country wisconsin looks tough I don't think people are writing off Northwestern despite that loss to Michigan State yet or writing off Minnesota. But obviously there's a lot of work for for everybody to do there. But is there a clear-cut favorite in the West? I mean, that would be a leap to to say that, wouldn't it? Well, after seeing everyone practice, Dave, I think I believe that Wisconsin was going to be the best team and that it might not be all that close. Um uh, but, you know, Graham Mertz had a really good day. The one day we kind of parachuted in, I felt like with the getting the receivers that were injured last year back, you know, particularly Danny Davis, who I really like a lot. And then the one defense was going to be great. And then the one issue was the run game. Um, you know, it feels like they've solved the run game, mm-hmm. which has Malusi. He's been really good here these, these first couple of weeks. But Mertz was really off in that opener against Penn State. So was that just kind of a – a one-time thing, 
I, I don't know. We'll see. You know they're going to play really good defense. They're going to play a lot of very close games. But clearly, as we talked about, Iowa is, is really good and maybe uh, slightly at a, a level higher than, than we thought that they would be. Uh, and then after that, I don't know. Um, again, I really liked Minnesota when we were there, but I just feel like that the injury to Ibrahim really changes everything for them. And then Northwestern, I, I mean, I, you know, look, this is a team that gets better and better as seasons go on. Certainly at this point in the 2018 season, you would not have said that this was a team that was going to play in Indianapolis, and yet they figured it out. Mm-hmm. So but let's uh, give credit where it's due. Historically, this is a program that does figure it out. I think I just worry about the offensive line. It just doesn't look like it has made the kind of jumps that they needed them to make. Uh, and obviously, defensively, they had all kinds of issues uh, in the Michigan State game. And, and then can they stretch the field, which I think has been a, an issue here for a few years. They just really need somebody who's a deep threat who can keep defenses honest. Dave, talk a little bit potentially about uh, the East Side of Division. And obviously, I think we, we know who's, who's towards the top. But you mentioned Maryland and, and Rutgers specifically in my mind. Seems like there's something brewing there in Piscataway with with Coach Giano and and what they got going there. And I, I feel like they could be a, not a, maybe not a sleeper to to win the division, but to really surprise some people across kind of the the, the mid level Big Ten teams. I would agree, Dan. I think they're going to beat someone they're really not supposed to beat. I think that'll happen this year. They are also limited offensively. They're not a great offensive team, but they do a lot of little things really well. And I think their defense is going to be good. They have a great punter. I mean, stuff like that matters for a, a, a team that, that's built like that. So I like them a lot. I really like them as a, a future uh, team. You know, they're they're recruiting very well at a level that we really haven't seen since Shiano was there the last time. And, and maybe even a little higher just because I think being in the Big Ten helps them. So I think the future is really bright for them. Uh, they had a great the day we were there, just um, the spirit. I mean, I, I know that sounds kind of, you know, who cares? How do you even measure that? But there's just something happening there. You can kind of feel it in the air when you're there that, that they believe. We saw it last year. I mean, they were a missed field goal away from beating Michigan, uh, a makeable field goal in overtime to, to win the game. So to think that that's what he did in year one, even though it wasn't a great Michigan team, it's still Michigan. Mm-hmm. and It's still Rutgers coming off a winless Big Ten season. So, again, I, I just think it shows how good Greg is, and no doubt they're going to be good here going forward. Visiting with Dave Revson, lead anchor for Big Ten Network. And uh, before we let you go, our uh, other member of our crew, Super Joe Romano, had a, a question he wanted to pop in with. Joe? Hey, Dave. Uh, thanks for taking the time. One of my favorite atmospheres in the entire landscape of college football is the whiteout at Beaver Stadium. Uh, this this year, they're taking a break from alternating Michigan and Ohio State for the whiteout and bringing up Auburn from uh, from down south. Is this a chance for Penn State to show that they, they belong amongst, amongst the elite of college football at- atmospheres? Oh, it is a great atmosphere, Joe. I'm with you. I think it's going to be quite a scene on Saturday night. It's uh, it's really fun to watch those whiteout games at State College, and it is kind of in a lot of ways, what college football is all about. So yeah, I think people are starting to recognize the 
that that fan base is is as rabid as any in college football, and and what a great scene that could be. And I, man, I, I like their team too. Uh, you know, again, we we kind of talked in the preseason about the two sides of the coin of these conference games early for a lot of these teams. You know, Iowa, you've got a an early conference test against Indiana, and then you got Iowa State. And man, if you win those, you're vaulted into the national conversation. Voila, they did it. Uh, Penn State, same thing. If you can beat Wisconsin and you can beat Auburn, you're in that conversation. Now, the flip side's true too, right? Wisconsin looks at it and says, "We got to beat Penn State. We got to beat Notre Dame." Uh, Indiana looks at it as, "We got to beat Iowa. We got to beat Cincinnati." So, the flip side is, you can dig yourself a hole. But man, if Penn State wins this game, and, and I think they're going to have a great scene on Saturday night, all of a sudden, particularly with Ohio State down, maybe a little bit, certainly on defense you start talking about Penn State as a college football playoff contender. Yeah, that's that's going to be just a crazy atmosphere on uh, on Saturday night. Dave, I have so much more I want to cover with you, but I don't want to keep you all day. So uh, can we do this again, I don't know, in a couple of weeks as we get into the meat of the conference season and kind of take the temperature of what's happening around the Big Ten? Absolutely. It would be my pleasure to do it, Dave. All right. I appreciate your time. You're the best. Thanks for joining us. All right. Thanks, Dave. Thanks, Dan. Thanks, Joe. All right. Thanks to Dave Revson for joining us. And and now jumping on with us is David Shoemate, the play-by-play voice of the Duke Blue Devils since 2017. And David will be on the Duke call for the game at Wallace Wade Stadium on Saturday against the Wildcats. Uh, and familiar rivalry. These teams have played a lot over the years. And, and I kind of get the feeling, David, that maybe they're coming into this game both are kind of coming at it from uh, similar positions. They're both one and one, and maybe in some areas have been a little disappointing through their first two games. Yeah, I think that's fair. Although, I mean, I think to be totally fair, uh, Northwestern's loss is a little different than Duke's loss. Um, having lost to a Big Ten opponent versus Duke, the coaches have been very candid about the the disappointment of the the opening loss at Charlotte, but. Um, I, I do think it's fair in terms of like the, the number of new pieces for both teams on the defensive side of the football. Um, obviously, the quarterback situation. I think there's a, a layer of unknown with both teams. And I think um, a couple of games in and as teams get a little more comfortable and get set in their routines, I think at least from the Duke perspective, they're hopeful um, to take a big jump this weekend. But I think there is a little bit of unknown and, and kind of getting a feel for where you're at uh, against a power five opponent. Well, I think one big question in the minds of Northwestern fans would be, how are we going to stop Mateo Durant? Because uh, <laughs> Kenneth Walker III of Michigan State lit up the Wildcats. A very uncharacteristic performance because this has been a very good run defense over the years, and especially last year. And they really struggled uh, starting for the first snap of the game uh, two Fridays ago against Michigan State. Uh, give us the background on Durant. Durant and and what kind of a runner is he? Yeah, this is his first year as the starter. He's um, what I would describe as a a really direct runner. Um, He explodes through the hole. He's not a guy that spends a lot of time tiptoeing around in the backfield, and that's one of the things I know the coaches really like. Obviously, when he gets in the open field, he's demonstrated he's got the ability to break away from everybody, Um, but he's an aggressive runner. He doesn't shy away from contact. I think that's one of the things they really like about him. I also think that's one of the things that – um, Duke has to be careful with how many carries he gets and how many hits he takes. He carried it nearly 30 times in the game against Charlotte. 
Um, that was scaled back to about 15 against North Carolina A&T. But um, he's a powerful back, but he hits the hole hard, and, and that's what Duke needs. Um, obviously, the, the numbers against Charlotte were awfully impressive, uh, going over 250 yards. Um, North Carolina A&T devoted a lot more guys to the run game, so Duke was able to open things up in the passing game. Um, but six touchdowns through two games, obviously, is going to turn a lot of heads. I know one thing. Whenever the uh, Wildcats have seen Duke, they've always had a quarterback. And last time it was Daniel Jones. I think he's found other work somewhere else now. But uh, <laughs> Gunnar Holmberg, tell us uh, the background story on, on Gunnar Holmberg, who is, what, in his second year now quarterbacking the Blue Devils. Well, yeah, and Gunner was here as a freshman the last time Duke played Northwestern uh, up in Evanston, and he was a part of that crew uh, that won the game 21-7. to As you said, Daniel Jones was so dynamic, obviously got hurt in that game in the second half. But um, Gunner is a fourth-year guy who's been at Duke in the era of transfers, uh, which is kind of unique. As you guys know, all around the country, people are moving around. Being in his fourth season, this is um, he's played some of the past, but this being his first season as the starting quarterback, um, he's returning Duke to where they've been, I think, when they've been successful at quarterback. Not that Chase Bryce wasn't a good thrower for the Blue Devils last year as a starter, but he wasn't really a threat to run. Um, and obviously, Gunner's not going to run like Mateo would, uh, but having that option of a quarterback who can run as well as throw is a dynamic that I think has breathed new life into this offense. And he's got an experienced receiving core to work with as well. He's an accurate passer, throws a really good deep ball. Uh, but the biggest impact on the offense so far is, is his ability to be a threat to run, which obviously changed the numbers uh, in terms of how you can defend the offense. How do uh, fans in the, the Durham area, Duke fans, uh, respond or, or approach this rivalry? Is it something – because I, I've always liked it. I mean, I, they're like-minded universities. They have generally played some pretty good games over the years, and, and I'm just wondering how it's received down there. Yeah, I think there's obviously a level of respect there is the best way I would describe it. Um, that comes from the coaching staffs, really, when you think about – um, I heard Pat Fitzgerald yesterday speak glowingly of David Cutcliffe, and then David Cutcliffe about an hour later uh, spoke glowingly uh, of Pat Fitzgerald. So I think that that speaks to what they look at in terms of how they built their programs. And then the fans look at it, obviously, academically. There are some similarities. Athletically, there are similarities. So there's a level of respect. Um, but it's also one of those games that is a barometer of where your program is at. Um, obviously, Northwestern has had more success in the Big Ten of late in terms of winning division championships, but these are two programs that uh, recruit some of the same guys, uh, do battles on the recruiting front, and it's kind of a, a check of where you're at and two teams that feel like they should be able to compete with each other. But uh, the word that I just keep coming back to is just there's a ton of respect. Well said. Well said. David, I appreciate the time. We will look forward to seeing you on Saturday. All right, guys. Thanks for having me on. Thank you. Dan, you've played in this series, and, and you also understand that this is the first road game for a lot of guys who are getting their first taste of college football here in the month of September. What are the challenges that Northwestern has going to Duke, going on the road for the first time with a bunch of young guys? Well, I think you mentioned it, right? I think it's, you know, going on the road for the first time shouldn't be understated for a lot of inexperienced players. You know, fortunately, a lot of these guys have been on a road trip before and played on special teams and, and gone through the drill. The thing that, that really um, 
is is something to consider is is honestly just the heat and the humidity down south this early in the year. I remember when we played down there. Um, I think we only played there once when I was there, but we got down there and, and in warmups, guys were cramping up, <laughs> almost you know passing out from heat exhaustion. It's just so much different, especially early in the year and when you're playing at at three o'clock. Um, so that's something to watch, right? You're gonna you're gonna see the Wildcats use a lot, go pretty deep. I think you know maybe on the offensive line and, and specifically on the on the defensive side of the ball. And I think they have the players that do that, but I think because of the heat, um, it's it's something to watch, and and it's really gonna either you know complement or, or expose the depth on on both sides of the ball. Yeah, and although it was warm on Saturday, but it wasn't it wasn't the kind of heat. The humi- humidity. It's really the humidity. Yeah, yeah, it's really just the humidity. Honestly, it's it's not so much you know the pure heat. It's just you know breathing in that humidity when you're when you're sitting down low in that stadium. Well, there's some interesting matchups uh, this weekend around the Big Ten. Uh, Purdue going uh, to South Bend to take on their in-state rival. And uh, they lost Xander Horvath, their running back, for four to eight weeks with a broken fibula. But you really like what Purdue's done the first two games. And, and Notre Dame fell in the rankings this week. They're 12th, even though they're 2-0. and But they've had two close calls against uh, Florida State and against Toledo this past Saturday where they needed a touchdown with just over a minute to go to pull out that win. How about Nebraska going to Oklahoma? this weekend uh that is a one tough assignment for scott frost and the cornhuskers of the wildcats will see in a couple of weeks uh indiana's got a tough game against eighth ranked uh, cincinnati michigan state playing miami this weekend uh michigan's taking on a northern illinois team that already has a big upset under their belt but you know what time it is it's time to get super joe's pick of the week prediction to say or estimate a specified thing will happen in the future super joe's predictions yeah, Dave just ran through uh, a bunch of the big games, and I got a couple of barking dogs on my sheet here. <laughs> I, I like, uh, I, I do like Michigan State going down to the Hard Rock, uh, Hard Rock uh, Stadium down in Miami. That's a team that we saw a couple weeks ago that you know is versatile. They've got some some transfers that came in and have hit the ground running, um, you know, to the tune of over 300 yards against the the Wildcat defense. Um, Miami has struggled a little bit. Obviously, yeah. anybody's going to struggle struggle against Alabama. And uh, you know, Appalachian State is you know one of those teams that you know if you're not if you're not um, paying attention, they'll come come and bite you. But I think Michigan State can go down there and uh, take advantage of a, a Miami team that probably is overrated being ranked right now. I think that's a good pick. I I, I think you're right. I think Miami's been a little bit uh, disappointing. Any others that are barking? You know, I do also, uh, we, we talked about um, the uh, Penn State game earlier with Dave Revson. Yeah. Uh, Penn State is favored. I, I, I like them to cover the spread of six in that game. And then the other dog that was barking that I did like in this is uh, Minnesota getting two in Colorado. Uh, not exactly the, the, uh, the game that you'll love to watch, but I do think Minnesota can go in there and uh, pull off the uh, small, small upset. All right, we'll see what happens this weekend, and we'll get another round of Super Joe's predictions next week. Uh, Dan, any final thoughts on this matchup between the Wildcats and the Blue Devils? Uh, not really. I think we covered most of it, but just looking to see how the offense responds from a kind of a tough outing against Indiana State, and, and hopefully they're, they're ready to go. All right, Dan Persa, 
I'm Dave Ennett. Thanks for being with us. This is Collegiately Speaking. Thanks to our guests, uh, Dave Revson and also David Shoemate from Duke. I'm Dave Ennett. Thanks for being with us. We'll talk to you next time.